This is, I, I suppose, this sermon today I, is, is um, a really important sermon because I think if you listen well to this one and you're able to incarnate Christ in this area of life and those around you are able to do this, life will be like heaven on earth. Seriously. Life will be like heaven on earth. And I think uh, not getting this one will be one of the reasons why you can look at your home life, you can look at your school life, you can look at your work life, you can look at any um, involvement that you have in society and you, can, and, and you can understand why it is so difficult sometimes. So today we're going to be talking about incarnating Christ. Again, this is part of our theory, a series that we're on for the whole year and um, we want to focus in our lives about how we can be more like Jesus how we can live more like Jesus so that when people look at our lives, when they see us, they say, you know what, there's something different about you. Why are you acting, thinking, behaving differently to everybody else? And they, that, that will be just because Jesus is in us and he, we are letting his life come out of our life. And uh, we want our lives to be an expression of his life. Now, in this particular area of discussion, we're talking about connecting power, imitating Christ in terms of our connections with one another. Um, and uh, we're talking today about humility versus pride. So the, the Word of God says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he actually starts to begin to talk about Christ's humility. That's what he's referring to at that point of time. So we're going to read that passage in uh, Philippians chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to it. Or if you want to just uh, look at the um, board, it's up on the board there and read along with me. That's fine as well. So we start in verse 1. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. It's a beautiful verse. <clears throat> He's saying, if you've got anything from Jesus, if you've got any consolation of his love or any sense of fellowship with him, he says you should have that worked out in terms of your relationship to each other. And so what should be happening in our dynamic in terms of our society and in our fellowship within our families, there should be this beautiful sense of harmony. If there's anything that we have learned from Christ, it should flow out of our lives and it should touch into the lives of others. And our relationships with other people, other Christians, should be one of harmony. One of beautiful unity. One of same-mindedness. With the same heart and the same love. And yet we look at society and we look at oftentimes church life and we look at family life and it is far from that. It's everything but that. It's like when we wake up in the morning, World War Three has woken up in the morning and everything is coming off the card. All the wheels are coming off. There's attitudes all over the place and it's just difficult from the very beginning of the day right through the whole day, right to the very end of the day until everybody puts their head down on the sack. It's all difficult. The only time there's harmony really happening is when every eye is sound asleep. And friends, Jesus doesn't want that for us. There's a better way. There's a better way. Amen? 
there's a better way. I don't want to have to go through life feeling the pain and the struggle of contention and fighting and difficulties on a daily basis. There's a better way, and the better way is in Jesus. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. (laughs) Turn around to the person beside you and say, Esteem me better. (laughs) Yeah, that's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? I mean, I I take um, take, uh, some... Fish oil tablets in the morning, and these are these are huge fish oil tablets the size of my thumb, and I have to take three of them in the morning. I still, I nearly died choking on it trying to get it down because they're so big, you know. But hey, just eat some salmon. Yeah, get the salmon and eat the salmon. Yeah, well, I just take the fish oil because it's cheaper. Anyway, it's a hard pill to swallow, but it does me good. And listen, this is what Jesus is saying. If you listen to the Word of God and you you get on board with the Word of God and you start putting away your selfish, conceitful ways, your self-centeredness, and you start doing what the Master and the King of your life is asking you to do, it's a bitter pill to swallow for self, but it's great for life and life abundantly. It's fantastic for relationships. It's great for home life. It's great for work life. It takes the stress out of life because you don't have to keep on fighting for your own self if you're putting yourself to death on a daily basis. With lowliness of mind, it's humility. Consider others as better than yourself. So how would that work out on a daily basis? Well, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd think, what would be best for my wife? She may be the only one that I have to think about because we've got the empty nest syndrome. And so it's like I'm thinking about her. What would be the best for her? So I might say, you would like a cup of tea or would you? I'm trying to serve her in some way. That's the love of Jesus coming out of me. And if she's thinking the same way, what can I serve you with, husband? What's best for you, husband? All of a sudden, we have a beautiful, harmonious relationship that's going on that's going to last all day. And something beautiful is going to happen in our lives because we are preferring the other, not looking at it for ourselves. And so oftentimes, we wake up in the morning and we go out into the family situation and everybody's looking at it for themselves. You had the last piece of toast. You had the last egg. You had the last piece of bacon. It was not fair that you did that. And then all of a sudden, World War III breaks up because we haven't learned something very fundamental about Christianity. It's not you in the middle. It's Christ in the middle. It's not you that matters. It's the other that matters. That's the fundamental basis of Christianity. Loneliness of mind. Losing yourself in consideration of others. Esteeming others as being better than yourself. Bizarre in our day and age. You ought to look at that one on Instagram. That's a good. It's oh, you got a stick. You got to stick it on the end of a stick. Our society is all about you. It's about making you the center of the universe. You're the most important person in the world, we're told, if you watch too much TV. You're told that your life is more important than others. You know, 
I hear of people who go through their life serving others. They get to about 45 and they, they get tired of serving others. And they hit what we call a, a midlife crisis. It's my turn. It's my time to be happy. I'll get my motorbike and I'll drive my motorbike and I'll drive around and do what I want to do because it's going to make me happy. I've spent my whole life serving everybody else. It's my turn to be served. It is never in the Christian equation for your time to be served. It is always time to serve Jesus and it is always time to serve others. Therein is great joy. Therein there is great liberty. There is abundant life there because in the service of others and in the ministry to others, we will find something that is beautiful if we never tire of that. It's going to be a preacher one day, that boy. Let each one look out, not out for his own interests, but for the interests of others. And then he says... Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So he's actually now taking the greatest example of this humility. And in fact, the humility is, is, is just the undergirding of the whole Godhead. God submits everything to the Son. The Son submits everything to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits everything to the Son. It all goes around. They are all submitted one to another. Jesus says, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only do what the Father tells me to do. He only brings glory to the Father. The Father empowers the Son to bring glory to the Son. It just goes round and round in circles. They are all serving each other and they are all humbly submitting to one another. It's in the Godhead. There's no self-centeredness here in the Godhead. It's just beautiful humility. And here we have Jesus in the throne of heaven, pre-existent before he came to earth. Equal with God. Equal with God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning. And all things were created by Him. Here is Creator God in, 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 in eternity. He says, you know, we've got a problem in creation. Let me clothe myself with flesh. Let me step down out of glory, out of the Ruler of the universe, creator of all things, step down into creation. Step down and clothe myself with created flesh. Step down into a lowly position. And yes, what happened to my divine power? What happened to all my godly character? I'll submit myself to the Father. I only do any of that that the Father tells me to do. So you'll see Jesus sometimes he doesn't know there's figs on a tree because God didn't tell him there's no figs on the tree. And other times he can see quite clearly because God says, okay, you can, have, you can see Nathan, Nathaniel there. You can see this and you know things. You know what they're talking about. And he submitted to the Father. Only expresses his deity when the Father says you can. He's just submitted. And when he gets to the garden, he's looking at picking up that load of sickness and the load of sin and all the things, the evil that is on the world. And he's going to clothe himself with that and then take the beating for that from the father's hand. He says, I don't think that I want to do that. This is something that is abhorrent to my very core, pure man, the pure God that I am. I am going to become sinful, evil, and you're going to, I don't think I want to do that. Nevertheless. He looked at us and thought of our interests. How will Mazin get to glory if I don't? How will Quinton find grace if I don't? 
How will S. Brands find a place in the eternity if I don't? How will Ben Faint get to glory if I don't? How will Liz Bamford have sins forgiven if I don't? How will Cheryl know the freedom of God if I don't? He looked to others' interests, not to his own. And he clothed himself with the flesh and then gave himself to the Father's hand to be smitten and stricken down for us. Not because he wanted to. Because he was humble. He would take upon himself because he was thinking of others' interests. He said, this attitude that Jesus had when he left glory and he came and took the form of a bondservant in the likeness of man and be found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death at the cross. He said, this attitude, this same attitude, clothe yourself with this mind. Let this mind be in you. Let this be the controlling principle of your life. Let this be the thought that comes tumbling into your mind on a daily basis. Let this be your process in life. That self-denying, self-dying, giving up for somebody else. Loneliness of mind where you're not fighting for your own thing. You're fighting for someone else's. Imagine family life if you did that. Therefore God also was highly, has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in the heaven, of those on the earth, and of those under the earth, and they, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. You see, there is one thing that we know about humility. The next thing that comes is exaltation. If you're looking for exaltation, if you're looking for promotion, if you think that you got what it takes and you're writing your, v, your, your CV or your thing and you're telling everybody else exactly how good you are about it, listen, I want to tell you something. You may get upset and disappointed because they may not see it as you see it. I know it's pretty hard not to these days, but let this attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Have a humility. Because when there is humility, then there is exaltation. And where there is exaltation first, usually there comes humility second. So what did the Bible teach about humility? It says that humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Sounds like an Old Testament proverb, doesn't it? So if I want money and if I want honor, the way to do it is humility and the fear of the Lord. But what, what's he really saying there? I like to think of it this way. Look, the most important thing about getting on in life is this. Having a correct relationship to your fellow man. You don't expect to get on in life. Don't expect to have riches or honor or life if you can't have a correct relationship with your fellow man. And the correct relationship with your fellow man is humility. Not you thinking that you're better than him, but you serving him. You recognizing that your life is given so that you can serve others. It's all about serving others. It's all about humbling yourself to think of the needs and the interests of others. It's all about others. It's all about how can I wake up in the morning and make Danielle smile? And Danielle waking up in the morning say, how can I make up and make mum happy? And mum make it up in the morning say, how can I wake up and minister the needs of the girls this morning? It's all about serving others. It's all about the center of our lives being other people. So that's humility. 
You're not waking up in the morning saying, you know what, I'm going to put my finger down here and I'm going to state this is what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. And if anybody tries to make me do what I want to do, they're going to just run into my... Today, I'm just going to stand up for me. That isn't the way to get ahead in life, friend. That's the way to get broken in life. Jesus says humility is a correct relationship with humanity. And then he says, if you want to have a correct relationship and get on in life, he says, the fear of the Lord. Having a correct relationship with God Almighty and a fear of the Lord puts you on your face before God and say, God, you could smite me down dead now if you were to go judge me according to my sins. And I fear you, honour and respect you, revere you. I don't want to do anything that's going to disappoint you. He says, yeah, you've got the right relationship with man, you've got the right relationship with God, and I'll bless you. I'll bless you, he says. The Bible tells us, and Jesus sits his disciples down in Matthew chapter 5, and he collects his disciples, they all sit around, and they come up into the mountain, this is called the Sermon of the Mount, they sit around him, and he starts to teach them, and he teaches them, blessed are the poor in spirit, and he talks to them about, and poverty of spirit talks about this, a complete poverty of attitude about oneself. It's not this, you know, in our society it says, blessed are you if you think you are very good, and you're good about yourself, and you're, you have a very, much, a very big pride about yourself, then you are blessed. Now our society's got it all upside down, good is evil and evil is good. Jesus didn't say, blessed are you if you're rich in your view of yourself. It says, blessed are you are those who are poor in spirit. Humble yourself. It says, blessed are the meek. Now, meek is an interesting word because it has that nuance of, of humility. It means suffering or enduring injury patiently without resentment. Everybody say that, enduring injury. Patiently without resentment. So it means that what happens is if I'm in a situation and something is going to be hurting me, I'm enduring injury. And like if something's hurting me and it's a prolonged hurt, I'm enduring something that's injurious. It's hurting me. So uh, when's this going to stop? I don't know when it's going to stop, but I'm having to endure it. It's terrible. This nagging thing that keeps on nagging at me, I'm enduring it. You know, enduring. In- now, what am I going to do? Am I going to get bitter about this? Am I going to get resentful about this? Or am I going to say, you know, this is my lot in life. I'm just going to endure this. This is called parenting. This is called parenting. Hey, this is only going to last for 10 or 15 years. It's still parenting. And after the parenting is finished, I'll have grandparenting. So whatever I learn now while I'm parenting, I'm just going to be able to put into practice when I'm grandparenting. And that's going to be my lot when I, until I die. So what I'm learning now is really good. And I'm enduring patiently. Why? Why patiently? Because I don't want to kill my grandchildren. I don't want to kill my kids. And you know what? I see, I read murders, suicides. And I I hear, look at newspaper articles of people who've come to the end of themselves. Because everybody in the household is not looking to serve one another. They're looking to serve themselves. And the whole household is a fight, is 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 a war zone. And then at the end of the thing, somebody stands up with a knife and cuts everybody's throats, drops them all down there and kills themselves. Why? There's no humility. This is... This is crucial. This is central to harmony. This is central to life, living life to its fullness. Jesus says, you want to know how to live life to its fullness? Be humble. Serve one another. Think about others better than yourself. I know it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it'll make you healthy and wealthy and wise. Three in the morning and three at night. Swallow them down. Make it your delight. 
Friends, this is basic Christianity, 101 stuff. And if you want to know why it's so hard in your home sometimes, this is why it is because we have lost the art of humbling ourselves to others. It's always moi, the centre, number one. He said, he who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the truth. If you lift yourself up, you're going to go down. If you put yourself down, God will lift you up. Proverbs tells us, promotion comes neither from the east or the west, but the Lord lifts up one and puts down another. And he's watching your heart. And I know for one thing, he will not tolerate pride. It's the biggie. It's from which all evils come, pride. So humility defined in the Bible is lowly mind. Everybody say, lowly mind. That's a lowly mind. <laughs> it sounds good, doesn't it? Roll, lowly mind. It means you put your mind down low. You know, it doesn't mean a debased mind. It means a lowly mind, thinking lower thoughts of yourself, not thinking of yourself too highly as you ought to say, like it said in Romans chapter 12. Do not think of yourself more highly than you should, but think with a, a sober mind, a, a real mind. You know, some people get through life, and, they, and, I, and I think that um, some of those shows that you, you watch that are competitive, Competitive shows where they're competing one against in song or cooking or something, they have a great, uh, a great expectation or idea of what they are or how good they are. And they discover, you know, when they stand up in front of the judges that they aren't as good as what they think they are. And how embarrassing it is for them when they discover that the world and the rest of the world knows that they are fake, even in their own mind they're great heroes. How disgusting it is and how embarrassing it is for us to, when we look at that and we see the person just shame themselves when they stand up and start singing and say, hey, this is, I can sing. Oh! And, and everybody's going, this is the worst thing. Whatever, whatever entered your mind. Somebody told me I could sing when I was a child. I think, yeah, that deceiver has given you, you can't sing, you're tone deaf. There's nothing, you know, get another job. Don't leave it, you know. Oh, dear. And we get very embarrassed and they get very upset and they, you know, they could make it to the top if only someone would give them a hand. You know. They're quite deceived by the whole thing. You never fall into that predicament if you have a lowly mind. And meekness, enduring injury patiently without resentment. That's a beautiful expression of uh, humility. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, I'm going to introduce another word, which is a really dirty word in our society. So I'm going to introduce it very carefully with you <laughs> because I don't want you to, to, to choke on it. And I'll get you to say the dirty word to each other. Here it is. Likewise, young people, submit. There's that dirty word, submit. Turn around to the person beside you and say, submit. Okay. Turn to the person and say it with force, I will submit. Ah, now that's different than saying submit, isn't it? Oh, it's quite easy to say submit, but then when you have to say I will submit, that's a different wrinkle. That's a different wrinkle completely. And yet he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, likewise, young people, submit yourself to your elders. 
Now it goes something like this. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God, submitted to the Father. Uh, James says, or Ephesians says, Paul says in Ephesians, children, obey your parents. So Jesus did that beautifully, didn't he? He says, I do everything that the Father tells me to do. I will obey Dad. Father God tells me to do that. That's what I'll do. Whatever he says, that's what I'll do. I'll submit to Father God. Now, child, submit to your parents in the same way as Jesus submitted to God. Oh, yeah, but you're going through adolescent years. That means that you can fight mum and dad. No, it doesn't mean you can fight mum and dad. It means that you learn humility in those adolescent years. It means you learn humility and you start saying, I will submit to my mother, I will submit to my father, even if I don't think the same way as they think. I understand where they're going. I am free to express what I think. But in the end of the exercise, I'm going to learn to be like Jesus. I'm going to submit. I'll do the dishes. I'll clean my room. I'll mow the lawns. I will submit. It's a dirty word, isn't it? You know why it's a dirty word? Because we don't want to touch it. We don't want to play with submission. It's as if it's something foul and filthy. You want to keep your hands away from that as far as, as long as you can. Because if you ever touch that, it might, it might get on you. Submission. So we keep ourselves right away from submission as though it's something foul and dirty. The last thing we ever do is we want to submit to somebody. And if anybody asks you to submit to them, well, that's the biggest evil there is. Watch out, there's danger there. But the Bible is not asking you to tell somebody else to submit to you. The Bible is asking you to submit to someone else. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. And previously in the verse before it says, submit to one another. In the fear of a filthy word, that's submission, isn't it? You preach submission and people go, ooh, don't like it. You know why? Because it marks the end of you. It marks the end of you, your self-will, your self-direction, your determination to be right in the middle, the centre of all things. It marks the end of you. It puts Jesus in the centre and says, learn to control that stallion. Learn to control that wild horse that's inside of you that wants to do its own thing. Put the reins on it. My son, when he was growing up through adolescent years, he would be feisty. We used to have arguments and left, right and centre. He was not a, a placid and complying child. Renee might have been complying, but Nathan was not. And Jade, well, she was the defender of all. She would stand in between all and fight for everybody. So if that meant fighting means she would do that too. So anyway, Nathan would have this robust discussion with me amidst the holes in the walls and what have you. So, you know, and I would sit there and think, well, this is, really, is this really what it's all about? All we want, son, is your submission. Like, do what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to do something because I'm a bad father. I'm asking you to do something because I'm a good father. Good fathers ask this of their sons. If I didn't ask this of you, I wouldn't care about you. I have a responsibility before God. I stand before God accountable for how to raise you. I'm asking you now on the basis of my God-given right as your father. And he would tell me what he thought. And I accept that he thinks differently because he's a growing young man. But you know what I liked about Nathan? In the end, he learned to rein the stallion in. He could gallop off into the wilderness and say, see you later, Dad. 
But he reined the stallion in and said, I will submit. And that takes a whole lot more strength than saying, don't you tell me what to do. I'll do whatever I want to do. And I don't care what you say. Eat my You think that's strong? That's the epitome of weakness. Strength is seen in the character that says, although I think differently to you, I will submit to you. Although I think a whole lot differently to you for the sake of harmony and for the sake of beautiful peace in this house, I will serve you. And might be only a few years that I live serving you. I will thank God for the opportunity that I can serve you in this family and grow up and learn what that looks like. Because when I get older and I get a job, I better have learned that lesson really well or I'll fell myself unemployed. Or when I get into my own relationship, if I haven't learned to serve, I'll be demanding my wife and my children to serve at my feet and that will cause great harm and discord. If I haven't learned this. The opportunity of you growing up in a family, young people, and to learn to submit is something that only comes around once in a while. If you don't learn that lesson well, you are bankrupt in terms of relationship and you are bankrupt in terms of God. Did you hear me? If you can't submit to your mother and your father and you can't obey them, you are bankrupt in your relationship with regard to human this dynamic and you are bankrupt when it comes to God because God requires it of you. You won't give it and you are destroying the fabric of human relationship because you can't. You think that's easy? uh, uh, So what? I, I have been in life long enough to know that so what's or whatever come around. I've been able to see people who say, so what, whatever, go out, do their own thing and come round full circle and meet it head on later on in life. And I watched them fall because of it. That's the, that's, the, that's the great thing about old age. And I'm not that old, but I'm getting old. White there is that you can see the wisdom of God worked out in those who obey it and you can see the end result in their life and you can see the, the folly of sin worked out in an individual's life and you, you get to see the whole thing worked out. And so when I give counsel to my children now, it's not on the basis just because the word of God says it. It's on the basis that I have seen this before and I have learned one thing that the word of God is true and every man is a liar if you want to end up in destruction ignore the word of God if you want to have great unhappiness don't do what the word of God says listen to me young people listen 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 you want to be happy that's our society just want to be happy In the end of the exercise, you've got to look for the things that make you happy. I'm telling you a secret now. Blessed, happy are the meek. If you don't learn that lesson, you will not learn how to be happy in any situation in life. You want happiness. You do. 
Everybody's striving for it. Our society says, we're hedonists. We want happiness. We want joy, pleasure. Give me pleasure. Give me joy. Give it to me now. There is a way that seems right to man, which is death. There is a way that is right, which comes from God, and that is the opposite to the way. The world says, I want to be happy. Give it to me now. I am the center. God says, serve others and make them happy, and you will have deep, resounding joy that will last with you forever. Nudge the person beside you and say to them, did you get that? Or did that go over your head? Now turn to the person beside you and said, I'm really trying to get that. Okay, mums and dads, if they said I'm really trying to get that, then you know this week coming, <laughs> you should see a difference. <laughs> false humidity. There is a false humidity. A false humility has to do with saying that you get it, pretending that you're humble, but you're really not. False humility sort of says, oh, I'll walk around and I'll be horrible. Oh, terrible, only me. Okay, oh, if you want to be miserable all my life, I'll be miserable all my life. Yeah, I'll serve everybody. I'll go around and serve everybody. Disgruntled service. Okay, I'll mow the lawns for you. That's what you're, I'm a slave, aren't I? No attitude of, I just want to serve Jesus. I'll do it because you tell me to. This is false humility. There's nothing humble about it. It's a grumbling mouth that says, I'm going to do it because I have to, but I hate you in the process. No meekness there. No, but full of resentment and full of bitterness that I'm going to make you feel how I'm hating what's going on because you know what? You shouldn't ask me to do this and I'm the king of the castle and you're asking me to mow the lawns, you lazy old thing. Go and sit down and watch your TV then. I'll mow the lawns. Now, that's false humility. Don't think that you have any power over yourself when you've got that sort of attitude. That's false humility. Yes, you've done it, but with the wrong attitude. You haven't embraced it and said, you know what, I'll do this because I love Jesus. You know what, I'm going to do this because I'm going to learn to live a new dynamic. I'm going to do this because I want to have Christ coming out of my pores. I want to have Jesus oozing out of me. I'm doing this now in my home so that I can learn when I have my own family, I can be Christ-like in my own family. I'm doing this in my workplace so that I, when I have my own business, I can be Christ-like in my own business. I'm doing this now. I'm doing this now because I want to do this now because I want to be like Jesus in my death. False humility says I'll do it because I have to. True humility deals with the character. False humility has no effect on your sensual attitude. Oh, you might say, oh, it's all the jobs we've done. And your mum says, oh, thank you for doing that. And she goes away feeling deep sense of regret because you've punished her the whole time that you were doing it. There was no sense of graciousness, no sense of desire to be like Jesus, just a begrudging submission. God responds to the humble. You get God's attention when you learn this right. He says, For thus saith the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in a high and holy place, and with him who is contrite and humble spirit. 
I, I want you to get this because some of you walk some very lonely paths. Some of you have faced some very difficult situations. And part of the problem of facing a lonely path and a difficult situation that is loaded with pain is bitterness. Bitterness. Why has this cup befallen me? Why do I have to go through this trauma? No one understands, no one cares about it. And you get bitter on the inside. The cure to bitterness is contriteness, brokenness. Say, Lord Jesus, I don't know, I'm broken by this, but I refuse bitterness. Bitterness makes a comparison. Bitterness says, look, look at that family down there. They don't have to go through what I'm going. Look at their kids. They don't have to suffer like I have to suffer, you know. And they make a comparison. And then because of the comparison, the bitterness builds in the spirit. Contriteness is brokenness before God. It says, look, I'm broken, God. I am not making any comparison. I'm just bringing my brokenness to you. And the high and lofty one who lives in creation and lives outside of creation and lives in eternity the Holy God says to you, he comes down, the comfort of the Holy Spirit comes down, and he wraps his arms around you, I am near to you. I am near to you. I understand the path that you have trod. I understand where you have walked. I understand the pains and the temptations that you have been through. I have allowed you to go through all of those things and I have allowed you to suffer those things because of my great grace. And as you fall into my arms, I will lift you up and I will strengthen you and I will make a path for you. Do not let bitterness become the anthem of your life, but let contriteness and brokenness be the anthem of your life and the Lord will lift you up. The Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want, I, I want you to understand how deeply you're offending God with attitudes of non-submission and pride. How deeply offensive that is. James writes and says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So God is going to give grace to those who are humble. But he says he resists the proud. The word resist is a military term. This is how God is angry about pride. He says he will set his ranks, his armies against you. That's horrible. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Just get, the, get this picture. The spirit of pride comes from the one who invented all evil. That's where it all came from. And then that resides within you. The armies of God that fight the devil have just set themselves in array against you. When you start saying, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I'll just do what I want to do. It'll be my way. I'm an adult now. Everybody else, watch out. Because you're not fighting mum, you're not fighting dad, you're not fighting pastor at church, you're not fighting uh, your uncle or your aunt, you're not fighting anybody else. You know what happens? God has set himself against you and says, nothing that you will do will succeed because I will bring you down. If he loves you, 
he will bring you down. If he cares about you, he will humble you. If he doesn't care about you, he'll let you run. You want to pray that God humbles you. You want to pray that God brings you down. Because if he lets you run, one day you'll stand before him and in your cockiness you'll say, and you call yourself God. Well, I've got a thing or two to say to you. And watch out. I watched a, a bit of it. You might have seen it on the news. Some guy who was uh, uh, an atheist and somebody asked him, what would you say to God if, you had, if, if there was a God? What would you say to God if you had an you know, opportunity to talk to God when you got to the other side? He was there. First of all, he says, I'd say to him, I'd, I'd look at him and say, what about the children, the suffering children with cancer? Well, answer that, God. You know what, just what's happened then? Just what's happened. God is no longer God. He has become God. And he pulls into question, Almighty Father. You do that in the last days, you're going to find the ranks of God's army against you. In an awful sense. You know, um, I, I, I was counselling a woman once and her sister died of cancer or she was dying of cancer. And she was very, very upset about the fact that her sister had cancer. She came down and she sat across the table with Jenny and I. She started talking and she was broken about this. And then she said these words. God got it wrong. And I can't respect or serve a God who's got it wrong like that. Now, I understand the grief and the pain that she's feeling. But Job didn't do that. Job lost all his kids. They're gone. Killed. He lost everything that he had. Gone. Taken away. Stolen. He lost his health. Sitting on a pile of ashes. His wife comes. He's lost his wife. His wife says to him, curse God and die. He lost his friends. His three friends came and sat with him. And then they tried to get him to admit to some grievous fault or some grievous sin. Because God obviously he punishes those who have grievously sinned. And you must have sinned. So he really lost his friends. He was alone, 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 but broken. But God had not left him. And when he came up and God talked to him, there was a big question in Job's mind about why. Why did this all take place? And then God did something kind of amazing. Come with me, Job. Let's go for a walk around the creation order. Come with me, Job. You see those great dinosaurs that swim in the ocean, Job? Amazing wisdom, hey? How I put that together, Job. You can't control that. Look at these things. The way created order is here. The stars are in place and the sun spins around. You impressed, Job? about the wisdom that I have? You're impressed about the way I see things and the, what I can do, Job? Job is sensible. He falls down before God and he says, I have nothing left to say. You are incredibly wise. I repent. 
in dust and ashes. I submit to your dealings and your sovereignty. I humble myself before you. And God picked him up. That's my son. Friend, pride stands and looks at God and says, you know what, I'm not going to agree with you. You said, submit to your mom and dad. You know what, I don't agree with that. Follow that through. One day you're going to stand before God. And he's going to say, this is what I think. This is what I wrote. This is what I think. And you're going to stand, created being, dust, life but a vapor. You're going to stand before the King of Kings, the author of all universe, the one who puts your whole body together. And you're going to say, me creation thinks you creator got it wrong. How stupid is that? How stupid is that? Think about that this week, friends. When your mother asks you to do something and you turn around to your mother and you give her lip. When you give your mother lip, you're giving God lip. I'm serious. When you give your father attitude, you're giving God attitude because your mother and your father are God's instruments over your life while you are still alive. That's it. You don't like that? Disagree with God? You take it up with God. Because humility is one simple thing. And get this right. Humility is agreeing with God. Turn to your neighbor and say, Do you agree with God? <laughs> Turn back and say, On all things? Yes, on all things. Do you agree with God on all things? There is in humility there. Humility is very simple. Agree with God. It says, humble yourselves in the sight of God and He will lift you up. And in closing, I'm just going to read you a passage of Scripture that we read from James. And it says here, James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. And here is the folly of all relationships bound up in earthly, essential, and demonic wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by his good contact that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom, in the humility of wisdom. With meekness, receive the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. The meekness, the humility, submission of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy... Compare yourself with others and get angry about what others have and what you don't have. Take it out on the person nearest to you. Complain to them about what you don't have and what you could have and what somebody else has and you don't have. I want a skateboard and they don't have one. Oh, terrible. And you won't buy me one. Oh, shameful. You call yourself a good mother and you won't buy me a skateboard? Oh, I'm going to punish you for three weeks now because you won't buy me a skateboard. And if you do buy my skateboard, I'm going to leave it on the road and someone will steal it the next day. Think about this. Bitter envy. Self-seeking. Bitter envy. Self-seeking. Bitter envy. I want what you got. I'm always going to make a comparison. I'm going to covet something. 
Bitter envy, covetousness, looking around, fashion. Look, you see his jeans? They've got a rip on them. I want a pair of those with the rips on them, you know? Have you seen the new jeans that come out? They put them in there with the lions and the tigers, and the tigers rip them. Everyone's in them. They, they charge you even more for the ones that were ripped by a lion and a tiger. <laughs> you dummy. It's true. It's true. It's true. They paid big, big bucks for a pair of jeans that have been mauled by a lion. They walk around. Where did you, what happened to your jeans? They were mauled by a lion. <laughs> really? How much did you pay for them? Oh, well, what's left of them? Oh, a thousand? You did? I got mine for five bucks from Kmart. They're not broken like yours. Seriously. How stupid is it sometimes? You know, but this is it. They get you on this thing. They get you on this comparison thing. As long as you're comparing yourself with others. And the best place to compare yourself with others is on Facebook. The best place to compare yourself with others is through Instagram. The best place to compare yourself with others through Twitter. Keep on going, looking around, looking what everybody else has got. And let that build into you. Let that build that attitude into you. Just keep on looking, keep on looking, keep on wanting, keep on thinking that you need it and deserve it. You're right, it's yours. Keep on hunting it down and you'll get bitter envy. It's the opposite to contentment. Contentment says, whatever I have, I have. It's, Thank you, Jesus, I'm alive. I'm content with that. Whether you have food or clothing, therewith be content. I've got, I don't have a house. They have a house and I don't have a house. Oh, bitter envy. Self-seeking. I've got to get it for myself. I've got to get it for myself. I've got to get it for myself. It's mine. I've got to get it for myself. Once I get it, it'll make me happy. Then you get it. And the new improved version comes out the next week. You saw it with those processed food processors. It, it hit the news. They're advertising these, what are they called, those food? Thermomixes. You heard it on the newspaper, big thing on the newspaper. Thermomix came out. Everybody's buying it. How much are they? A lot, a lot of money, aren't they? If you're if you anything and you have something, you have a thermomix. Well, it's a mixer and a cooker at the same place, if you didn't know what it is. It cooks your meal. You mix it up, cooks the meal. You just, you just throw vegetables at it and it turns out into a quiche. It just does it all by itself. It's just amazing. A thermomix. Everybody say thermomix. Right, you want to have one of those thermomixes. They're very expensive little toys you have in your kitchen. Thermomix. Well, they were advertising the Thermomix, and you have the Thermomix come out. Everybody, what did they put the money in for their Thermomix? A couple of grand, I think it is, for a Thermomix. And they all bought it. And the week after, everybody bought out a new improved form. <laughs> thermomix. And everybody, you know that. Did you nearly buy the old one? They're overrated. Anyway, they bought the very next week a new model out after everybody bought the old model. And everybody's going, ah! Why? Bitter envy? Self-seeking. It's not about the Thermomix, what it can do. It's about having the, the latest one. So you can say, I've got the latest one. <laughs> oh, you got that one? Well, that's a week old. i got this week's one. Oh, seriously. <laughs> yeah, what does yours do? Yeah, mine does that too. <laughs> oh, seriously. You need to stop and think about what you're doing in life. The wisdom that comes from the Word of God is wisdom to give you life, abundant life. Folly and stupidness is bound up in bitter envy and self-seeking. It says, the wisdom does not come or descend from above, but is earthly, 
sensual. And everybody say that word. Demonic. Demonic. Bitter envy and self-seeking are demonic. So if you want to wrap yourself up in chains, if you want to destroy your life, you want to steal any opportunity you have in life, if you want to, if you want to have the devil come and wrap you up and take away all your possibilities and everything, just be bitter, envious, just be self-seeking because you're doing the devil's work and he's wrapping you up in chains. And if you don't believe it, just keep on doing it. I'll live long enough to see the truth worked out in your life. Because I've already seen it worked out in other people's lives. Friends, God's word is wisdom to us. God's word is wise, so wise. He is so loving of us. He is so caring of us. He wants for us to have abundant life. Life more abundantly. And he says, here's a little key. Be humble. Humble yourself under the hand of Almighty God and I will lift you up. And you sit there and say, I don't think I want to do that. You don't be silly now. It's silly not to humble yourself. Submit yourself to God. Change my heart, O oh God. Change my heart, O oh God. Change my heart. Change it. God, help me change my heart. Say it. Change my heart. Close your eyes. Change my heart. Look, you know it. Put your hand on your chest. Put your hand on your chest. You know whether there's bitter envy there. You know whether there's selfish ambition there. Now, if you want to change, Lord, change my heart. Change my heart from this foolishness. Change my heart from this self-will. Change my heart from this demonic lie. Jesus, Jesus, put your wisdom there. Jesus, let your humility, Lord, be my portion in Jesus' name. Change my heart. Make it your cry. Make it your cry today. Change my heart. I want to be more like you, Jesus. You're the potter and I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, O oh God. Change it to make it true, Lord Jesus. Change my heart. Make it more like you. Jesus, make it like you. Look at me. Receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save you. And do not be hearers only, but doers, so you do not deceive yourself. For if you look into the Word of God and see yourself in the Word of God, do not forget what you see when you wake up tomorrow morning and start to play the devil's game. You know what? I love you. I can't, I, you know, you, some of you are not listening. I love you. You know, I know if you don't listen to this, you will be ground to a powder. It is better that you fall on the rock and be broken than the rock fall on you and crush you. I care. 
Jesus, shine out of my life. I do not want to be the center anymore. I just want to serve Jesus and I want to serve my fellow man. Amen? Let it sit in you. If you're not getting this, you need to break down somewhere and say, God, I, I didn't get that and, and, and I don't care. You've got you to go away and really get before God because his, his ranks are against you and I can't see anything but really dangerous stuff happening to you later on. If you can't get this, if you can't get this, it's not good looking. This is core, this is fundamental, this is 101 Christianity. This is repentance. This is change my heart, God, from what it was to what it should be in Jesus' name. Amen? Let's stand up. Take the person's hand beside you. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you for your word. I humble myself before you and ask you to make this important to me. Help me, Jesus, to get this one. In Jesus' name. Amen.